I want to say thank you again for your incredible hospitality. It's been such a blessing to be with you these days, and um, the fellowship has been so sweet, and it's been great to meet many of you and to share and even pray together. And uh, I, I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing in and through um, your lives. Uh, what a privilege to talk about the deeper life this week and what it really means um, to, uh, to live and walk in holiness. And so this morning, I hope that, um, that uh, what I share is going to help us even be more clear in that. So I want to read from the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter, and I'm going to read verses 13 to 35, 25, 13 to 25, Matthew chapter 16 this morning. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist some say you're Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then Jesus charged his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus Christ. Now, from that time on, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense unto me, for you think not the things that are of God, but those that are of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anybody will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Now that's a familiar passage to us, isn't it? Uh, we've heard parts of that, if not all of it, preached and taught probably many times. Dr. Dennis Kinlaw is my spiritual daddy, as he is some other folks um, here at Indiana Wesleyan. And he says that he believes right here when Jesus takes the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, is one of the most sacred, if, the, if not the most sacred times um, and special and precious times for Jesus with his disciples. Now let's, let's look at some background. You'll remember that Jesus had spent three incredible years with these guys. Um, just amazing. It began back there at the Jordan River with John's followers and quickly Jesus picked up the 12 and then they followed him now for three years. Um, and they're excited about the future. Because they've seen Jesus teach, us, teach, and there was absolutely nobody like him. They've seen him um, preach. Nobody could, could touch him. They've seen Jesus heal. They saw his incredible compassion with people. When, when the, the leper was there, leprosy was a horrible, terrible disease that, that separated a person from the synagogue, you know, from their church, from their family, from their work. They had to go out and be alone. And Jesus had compassion on the leper in just one touch. 
and he was made whole. So then he could go back and be with his family, worship with his friends, and, um, and go back to work. The disciples had seen the amazing power that Jesus had. There was no human problem that he couldn't handle. You'll remember he spoke to the deaf, you know, and then they could hear. He spoke, he spoke to the blind, then they could see. He spoke to those that were dumb, and then they could talk. He spoke to the lame, and then they could walk again. So it, it, it just a word or a touch was enough from Jesus. And the disciples had gotten to see that. They saw all those miracles. They saw him multiply those two little fish and five pieces of bread, and more than 5,000 people were fed. I mean, I'm sure their minds were just blown away, and they're going, wow, wow. Um, he, they saw that Jesus was also Lord over physical nature. Remember, these were seasoned fishermen. I mean, they are tough guys, and then they're out on the lake, and there's a big storm, and they're freaking out. But you know what? Just one word from Jesus, and that storm stopped just instant. They'd seen that, and they saw that not even death was a problem for Jesus. Remember, they got to be with him. Three of them did with Jairus, his daughter, and see Jesus raise, raise her from the dead, and Lazarus. They had seen that. So I think even then when the temple, the Christian, or the, um, not Christian, the religious people got mad at Jesus for healing a man. Remember there was a man with a crippled hand, and, but it was a Sabbath, and Jesus touched. He had compassion, touched and healed him. You know, and, and the temple got really mad at Jesus. I think that the disciples just thought, hey, <laughs> they'd seen him in action. That's nothing for Jesus. It's not a big deal. But Jesus knows that the party is not going to end the way that the 12 guys think it's going to end. Um, they think that it's going to be a big coronation. You know, he's going to be crowned with a king, uh, with a, a, crowned with a crown, you know, big hotshot king. Jesus knows that it's going to end with a cross and a crucifixion. So Jesus asked them, says, hey, who do people say I am? What are they saying about me? And then they said, who do you, who do you think that I am? And then the passage says that Jesus starts to talk about the cross. And what does Peter do? Peter rebukes him. Because Peter's saying, hey, that, no, that's not my idea. That's not going to happen to you, Lord. Um, it's not my idea of a Messiah. Even after Peter, Jesus had just said, Peter, you said the right answer when, Je when Peter said, hey, you're the Christ. So Jesus is saying, Peter, you're not thinking the way that I'm thinking. You're double-minded. Remember Monday when my pastor, or I share with y'all that my pastor said, Joy, I'll tell you your problem. You're just double-minded. And I didn't even really understand what, that, stand what that meant. But the word here says that Peter was double-minded. Jesus said that. Because in one sentence, Peter is blurting out and saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, he's got one foot over here. But then in the very next sentence, Peter turns around and he rebukes the eternal son of God. So that's when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Now, he wasn't saying that Peter is Satan, but he was saying, you're talking like and thinking like the enemy. You're not thinking the way that I think. Now, I believe that there is a dividing line in the life of the disciples right here in Matthew chapter 16 at Caesarea Philippi. Before chapter 16, before Jesus took them off to Caesarea Philippi, and just for you to know, go look at it on a map ge geographically, but, but it's, it was, I think it's about the farthest place away from Jerusalem that, that Jesus took the disciples. It was in the northern part there. And he went and took them just to be alone and explained to them what was about to happen. Now, before Caesarea Philippi, 
They'd seen all those signs and wonders and miracles, all the healings, all the deliverance, you know, from, from demonic oppression. Just incredible. And now Jesus is saying right here, he divides it. He says, that's really not what I came for. That's not the most important thing. I came for much, much more than that, than signs and miracles. You see, yeah, Jesus is saying, yeah, I want people to be able, the lame to walk. I want them to be able to physically walk. But the deeper issue is that he wants them to walk in holiness. He's, Jesus says, you know, yes, I want the deaf to hear. And he did. He touched people so that they could, they could physically hear again. But he wanted to go deeper. He wanted people to be able to hear not just the sounds around them, but to be able to hear in their inner spirit the voice of, the, of God. And, and Jesus saying, yeah, I can cast a demon out of somebody. But, but unless somebody's walking in holiness and going deeper with me, then those demons can come back seven times even stronger. And he doesn't want people just, just to know the forgiveness of our sins, but he's saying, I want to go deeper. I want, I want you to understand what happens in the heart um, within us that causes us to sin. What's in there? It's that, that carnal spirit, that selfishness, that pride that makes us want to want to sin. So see, I believe right here Jesus is saying, I, want, I came for something much deeper. I, I want 100%. I want all. That's when he said, if you lose your life, give your life totally, 100%. For me, that's when you gain it. You know, I thought, I wonder why it took so long, why Jesus waited a while to do this. I mean, it had been three years, and they'd, they'd been out walking together, eating together, sleeping together, you know, just, just in ministry together all, those, all those, that time. And I think, I just think that it takes a while a lot of times for us to walk with Jesus after we're saved, after we've asked him to forgive us, to see that need deep in our hearts. I, I believe that the disciples still didn't see it yet. Not right there. And I wonder if it doesn't take us a while to understand that we need a second work of grace. Something deeper in our hearts, even than salvation. You know, um, this week we were saying the Deeper Life series. I heard a couple of folks say the Holiness series. And that's what the Deeper Life means. Now that that might be a a foreign or a new or a different phrase um, to some of us. Um, people interchange it and use different ways, but what it really means to walk in that deeper life or to have a second work of grace in our hearts. Some people call it the second blessing. Some people call it being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Some say being baptized with the Holy Spirit. There are folks that, um, that say, I'm making Jesus Lord of my life. Earlier, we just sang a song about him reigning, really reigning, being the real king, the real Lord over us. You know, I said that Jesus was Lord in my life for years and years. I quoted what other people said and even prayed, Lord, something. Um, but that wasn't real in my heart. He wasn't the real Lord. He wasn't, I, I wasn't, he wasn't my master and I, I, me, me completely being obedient and faithful to him. It was just cliche. It was habit. It's what we sang. It's what we said to other people. But there are folks that when, when they really ask Jesus to fill them with his spirit, they're saying, now he truly is the Lord of my life. That's what that means. Now, now, we've been talking about that deeper life. This morning, I want to give us what for me, this is for me, a tangible example of people whose lives were changed and that were, went deeper with him and whose, whose hearts were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the disciples that we just read about. Because do you know what, when I was a little girl growing up, you know, in Sunday school and vacation Bible school, and you learn about what a disciple is, remember the teacher saying, what is a disciple? And the, the simple answer is a follower of Jesus. 
And, um, and, and so the disciples in the Bible, you know, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were, were like examples to me. And I remember thinking, aren't they great? They were just good guys because they were following Jesus. And that's what I wanted to be That was in a, in a simple way. And, and that's true. We do want to follow Jesus. But, but I want to this morning just quickly look at um, what the disciples' hearts were really like. When I really look at that, they were very carnal they were very selfish. And that's what happened right here. That's we see a little example there. When Jesus rebuked Peter, because Peter did rebuke Jesus, saying, no, Jesus, I know better than you. You know, first he says, you're the Lord. You know, you're, you're the Christ. But then Peter said, but I, I know better. I've got a better idea. So first, I want to give you just four or five examples, just biblically, straight out of the Word of God. It's proof to me. I love for things to be proven to me. So here are evidences or proofs that the disciples were followers of Jesus. Now, we use the word saying we're saved. Now, because the cross hadn't happened yet, I don't know if biblically or theologically I need to say saved. But here is pr are some proofs that they were believers and followers of Jesus. In the word, in John 17, uh, he, uh, the word says they were not of the world. They were following Jesus. John 17 also says they were kept by Christ and not lost. So they were, we would say, saved, but they're not lost. Uh, Luke 10 says their names are written in heaven. So they're believers, followers. John 17, they belonged to God and Christ. In Matthew 28, they were ordained and commissioned, sent out with the, what we call the Great Commission to go and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, everywhere. And then in Luke 24, we see that Jesus said in Luke 24, 49, he told them to wait in Jerusalem, tarry, to wait and pray for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. And Luke 24, 35 says they spent 10 days praising God and waiting in prayer. So they were believers, they were followers. But now let's look at the evidence of need in the disciples' lives what they were like in the Gospels. And I've just got seven or eight here. I want to tell you places where, again, I used to think, hey, I wanted to be just like them. But when I see the lack of spiritual maturity here, I don't, I don't want to be like them here in the Gospels. They were actually very selfish, which is what we all are before we really surrender everything to Jesus. It can be a spiritual selfishness and a pride that is there. So listen to their selfish ambition in some of these verses in, in, in the passage here. Um, First of all, we've got that passage right here in Matthew 16. Peter wants his own way when Jesus starts talking about the cross. He says, you know what? You're not the Messiah I had in mind. I've got a better idea. Um, the disciples' faith were, was weak. They can't trust God for some things yet. Um, their faith is not complete. They couldn't cast out demons the way that Jesus did. In the Gospels, the disciples were looking out for number one. They wanted to look really good and spiritual. Um, um, so they, they got excited. When Jesus started talking about the cross, they just said, Hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit right here, be the one that stands right on your right side or your left? They wanted to be the hot dogs, the big shots, right there with Jesus. And first, when you read the Bible, you think that it's just a couple of them were like that. But the word says, this is actually in Matthew 20, the word says in a couple of verses later that every one of them, all 12, the others were jealous. The other 10 were jealous of those two that they had jumped in first and said, Hey, Jesus, we want to be right there with you. We want to be the big dogs when you do come into your kingdom. They were looking out for themselves. They had a spirit of grudging forgiveness. Remember, they just said, Jesus, how many times have we got to forgive somebody? And then that's when Jesus came back and said, 70 times seven. But the disciples' hearts were not clean in that. 
They didn't want to forgive. They were impressed and over-impressed with power and money, with wealth. Remember when the rich young ruler came and, um, and, and Jesus explained to him what it would take for him to be saved, you know, to, to, uh, to surrender to him? And then the Bible says he went away sad, you know, because he wasn't willing to do that. The disciples got mad. They were really angry because they said, Jesus, are you crazy? Why did you send him away? Because he's rich and we could really use his money for the ministry. You know, we could do stuff with that. Same thing happened. Remember when Mary, the woman, took the, the alabaster box and she broke it up and it was really expensive and took her hair and anointed Jesus? And the disciples were really hot about it because they said, are you nuts, Jesus? Because that's worth a lot of money and we could sell that stuff. And she just wasted it. They were not spiritually sensitive in that. There was, there, um, they rebuked people for bringing children to Jesus. Remember when they tried to bring little kids there and the disciples said, they're just kids. They don't have money and they're not smart and they're just babies. You know, they're not important. So get rid of them. They make noise. You know, maybe they wet on people. I don't know. You know, I don't know what they said, but you know, get rid of them. But what Jesus say, one of the first verses you learn is a little kid, let the children come to me. Um, there were blind beggars. Remember those two blind beggars? The disciples didn't have time. They were crying out and the disciples said, shut up, hush. You know, don't you know this is Jesus? He's really important. But Jesus took time, touched him, and healed him. The disciples failed Jesus. They're looking out for themselves at the, at when Jesus needed them the most. Remember, he asked them to go into the Garden of Gethsemane with him just, and, and to pray with him because he was in agony. You know, he knew what's going to happen the next day. But they, they cared about their physical issues and, you know, just went to sleep, left him alone. And then they denied him, all of them, every one of them forsook him and fled because they were looking out for themselves. Peter, Peter had a chance to make it up three times, remember? <laughs> three times, and he still blew it. So when I see those characteristics in the, the disciples, I just think, wow, they're not kind of the guys that I thought they were. But now at this stage of the game, I look at them and think they were carnal. They were double-minded. Yeah, they, they were following Jesus. I would say they're saved. They're free. They've been forgiven. But, but there was still a need, a lack in their lives. And that's why Jesus said to them, pray for the promise of the Holy Spirit. He promised the Holy Spirit to them and to us. I, now I want to shift and go positive. That's negative. Now let's go over to the book of Acts. There is a massive change, radical change in those guys since Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then when we move over into the book of Acts. The Bible says this, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, that their hearts, the disciples' hearts, were purified by the Holy Spirit. It, they were made pure. They weren't selfish anymore. They weren't looking out for number one anymore. Here's, here's the change. Remember those things that were over there in Matthew and in the Gospels? Now in the book of Acts, Peter was willing to be redirected. He, he, it didn't have to be his way anymore. There was not a lack of spiritual power. Transformation and healing took place. Um, the Bible says that sometimes even their shadow could fall on somebody and they'd be healed. And they would, were saying, in the name of Jesus, remember the passage I used on, um, on Monday from Acts chapter 3. In Jesus' name, rise and walk. They weren't trying to get credit themselves. It was because of Jesus. They were not looking out for number one anymore. James became the head of the church and Peter did other things. There was not evidence of grudging forgiveness. We see that clearly when the Sanhedrin was being unjust and hateful to them and they were forgiving. And then when Stephen was stoned and killed and the word says that the disciples forgave the folks. 
They were not over-impressed with money anymore. There was oneness of heart. I want to read one passage to you from um, Acts chapter 4. Here's what it says happened after the Holy Spirit came and their, and their uh, impression or lack of, of impression with um, money. Acts 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and every man, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as were saved. So, so God was really using them. He was anointing them. There was not that same lack of spiritual sensitivity. Acts 3, lame man. They saw him and did something about it. They weren't failing Jesus and running away, tucking their tails and running and denying him. They were willing to stand for him, even though it might mean their lives. And it did in the end. And then they were very bold. They weren't afraid. When they were threatened, they spoke with boldness. So much so that, remember, the word says in Acts 4 that the people knew that they had been with Jesus. They said, we must obey God, not man. And that's all throughout the book of Acts. Now, now, after the resurrection, the disciples were still hiding behind closed doors. They were really afraid and discouraged. But then we see different men in the book of Acts. What produced that difference? Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit came and purified their hearts and filled them with power. The selfish ambition was gone. The ego was gone. And Jesus, what Jesus promised, his spirit, is what they were filled with. So Jesus promised it to them. He still promises it for us today, each one of us. That same power that was given to those disciples is that power that's available to each one of us. And, um, and that's what the Deeper Life series is about. It's uh, the fact that God longs to live in us and in victory for us to have that deep peace in our soul. And so losing our lives, like Jesus was talking about to the disciples, you know, in order to gain your life, you've got to lose it. To lose our lives, to give our hearts totally to him, that's when we gain him. He's the great gift. We gain that victory in our heart. So this morning, just as I close, I want to share one of my favorite verses of Scripture, and then we're going to pray. I mean, this is found in the Old Testament. It's over in 2 Chronicles. And for those of you that preach, you probably skip over that a lot. Most people don't preach a lot from Chronicles. And when we're doing our devotions, I confess, you know, when I get to Chronicles, it's kind of a little bit boring because it's saying so-and-so begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so. It's a long genealogy. And, and I don't even know how to pronounce a lot of those names. And I think I don't really know who they, they are. But... It's all God's Word. And in the center of that, there are incredible treasures that, that if we take the time to dig them out, wonderful promises. Here's a great promise from God. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. One of my favorites because it talks about our hearts. Here's what he says. He says, the eyes of the Lord move back and forth over the whole earth. So if we had a big globe up here, we could, we could say that God's going all over the earth. And then it says, looking, that he's looking for one just one of us, one person whose heart is totally his, completely surrendered, totally his. And then he promises that he will be strong for us. He'll fight for us. His spirit will be in us and he will guide us. That's in that verse. 
What a glorious promise. And so now I know that Jesus is right here. And so God's not up far, far away in heaven. And I know that God can see everything, so he doesn't need glasses or binoculars. But this is what I think about in my brain when I think of that verse. I think of God being up in heaven and like he has big binoculars. (laughs) And like he's going just all over the earth, all across the globe, country to country. You know, and then he comes and moves over here to North America, into the United States, even here into Indiana, right here into chapel this morning. And he says, I'm looking for just somebody whose heart's totally mine, that wants to sell out to me that'll give their life so that they can have me. (laughs) And then he promises he'll do it. So that's the great promise. That's the promise of and the possibility of the experience of holiness and being set apart for him and of of experiencing that deeper life. That's what that means. This morning, we're just going to pray. And I'm going to pray for us, just by me corporately, and you be praying in your hearts. But let's just join hands. Will Will you grab the hand of whoever's next to you? And pray for yourselves, but also for that person. Could we pray this morning that God could give each one of us an experience of a deeper life, of a heart totally surrendered to Him, and that He could get us to the point that we long for that, that we're willing to say we want to lose our lives for Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You and praise You for Your wonderful promise to us. Thank You that You promised Your Spirit. That's who You are, Your character. And, um, and Lord, I thank you for the fact that it can be reality in our hearts and lives. It's not just a theory. It's just not a doctrine that Indiana Wesleyan has adopted years ago and was founded on. But it's a reality of who you are and your holiness and what you long to do in each of our hearts. So Jesus, right now, as we're holding hands with our neighbors, will you touch our hearts first of all, but would you speak into their hearts too as we pray for each other? Will you give us the courage and the understanding to lose our life, as Jesus said, to give our life 100% to you? To be raising our hand and say, Jesus, I'm right here. When you're looking all over that earth, I want you to see me and my hand. I'm the one. I want you to have my heart because I want you to be strong for me. I want to be strong for you. So, Jesus, right now as we're praying, I know that different folks have been thinking during these days about what it means to be filled with your spirit and to truly make you Lord of our lives. I'm asking you to do that in each of our hearts right now and to give that victory for everyone in this auditorium. And I thank you, God, that you're faithful to your word. You promise that you hear what we're asking for and you say clearly, you exhort us, you command us to be filled with your spirit. You pray for us, for those that follow you to be filled with your spirit. Would you do that now in each of our hearts? We sure thank you and we love you. In your strong, strong name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.